I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. From MCIE. Belonging is a human right and not a right that should be earned. My name is Tim Viegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Think Inclusive, a show where with every conversation, we try to build bridges between families, educators, and disability justice advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. You can learn more about who we are and what we do at MCIE.org. Luvi Jenkins has over a decade of experience working with kids. Growing up in Mexico, she did not have much experience interacting with children with disabilities. However, while she was getting her Bachelor of Science degree in psychology and child development, her cousin was diagnosed with autism. This inspired Luvi to seek a career in special education. Originally, Luvi's background was in behavior as she worked in an ABA clinic. Then, while getting her Master's of Education in Early Childhood Special Education, she fell in love with the classroom. Luvi taught at the Rise School of Austin for seven years before transitioning to her role as Education and Medical Outreach Manager at the Down Syndrome Association of Central Texas. Luvi also starred a small business in which she provides consulting and tutoring services for children with and without disabilities. In this episode, Luvi Jenkins discusses the importance of inclusion in education and the barriers that families face in achieving inclusive education for their children with Down syndrome. She highlights the need for support and training for teachers, as well as the role of school administrators in promoting inclusion. She also shares her experience working at the Rise School, an inclusive preschool that values diversity and fosters social-emotional growth in all students. Before we get into today's interview, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Together Letters. Are you losing touch with people in your life, but you don't want to be on social media all the time? Together Letters is a tool that can help. It's a group email newsletter that asks its members for updates and combines them into a single newsletter for everyone. All you need is email. 
We are using Together Letters so Think Inclusive patrons can keep in touch with each other. Groups of 10 or less are free, and you can sign up at togetherletters.com. And now, my interview with Luvi Jenkins. Luvi Jenkins, uh, welcome to the Think Inclusive podcast. Thanks for having me today. So help me understand the your role. So it's education manager. So what does an education manager do? And, and also, how do you, I say the acronym? So the Down Syndrome Association of Central Texas is DS Act. DS Act. Okay. Yes. Got it. And I am their education manager. Now I'm their education manager and medical outreach manager. So I'm working in those two fields. But as the education manager, my role is to basically... It encompasses all education resources. So I provide free training um, opportunities to classrooms, teams, districts in Central Texas. What those look like are like the Down Syndrome 101 profile is a really popular one. Just making sure that teachers understand how best to approach learning and teaching um, a child with Down Syndrome. There's huge strengths that they can take advantage of to making sure that educators understand that. Um, inclusion is another one that I do. And then there's like an IEP one, just making sure that parents understand because the trainings are also for parents. So I'll do like webinars or um, that was during lockdown. We had about like a, a webinar every other month or so, but webinars on IEPs and art meetings, um, as well as um, there was one more behavior. That's a big one too. So the functions of behavior, um, how to work through behavior. So that's one of the roles that I do. Also, we organize a education conference each year, usually in the fall, where we bring speakers to talk about reading instruction, math instruction, inclusion, any topic that we think would benefit both educators and parents. So that is another thing that I do, as well as a new program that we started is our World Down Syndrome Day kits. So each year we provide these kits for schools they can parents and teachers can sign up just to help spread our mission on um, inclusion and on um, Down syndrome in general. So we buy books, we make um, activities. Some of the activities we've used, actually Heather Avis, who's the author of the book, she makes a lot of the activities herself, which is great. So we'll include those in the kit as well as just, again, that Down syndrome 101 packet on strengths and um, areas of growth and things like that. Um, that's Pretty much the bulk of it. We do Educator of the Year Award to recognize teachers. I was a past educator for seven years. And so a big part of that was um, a way that I loved my job was just understanding the impact I made on families. And so with this award, we're recognizing a teacher, an educator each year um, that's made an impact on a family or one of our members. So little programs like that just in the education realm is what my job encompasses. Um, so is um, I heard you say Heather Avis is Heather Avis affiliated with DSAC. She or isn't, but she um, we have some members who are like, friends with her. I connect with her, mm. uh, but I love her as far as like her podcast is great. The Lucky mm -hmm. Few, um, the books that she's been publishing the last last year and this year, we've used both of her books, um, especially because they're just they're newer. They are they speak more to elementary school kids. It has those activities already made, um, and she's a well-known resource mm -hmm. for families with Down syndrome. So, kind of in that whole kit, hopefully, teachers are able to then access her podcast as well and learn from her. So, she's not directly affiliated, but we sure, use sure. a lot of her information. 
Um, why is inclusion specifically for families uh, that have children with Down syndrome? Why is that important? Well, first and foremost, for me, belonging and inclusion kind of go hand in hand. And belonging is a human right and not a right that should be earned. So just given the the principle that we're all humans, um, that's basically like the first reason why I think inclusion is so important. We all deserve to be with our peers and not be segregated. Um, but then on top of that, if you then add just the amount of research that's been conducted showing that school achievement, quality post-school outcomes are all positively correlated with the amount of times that kids spent in gen ed classrooms, that in itself is huge. So while some kids do benefit from that one-on-one -on -one and all of that, overall research shows that even kids with the most severe disabilities do benefit from being in the gen ed classroom included and not just in the room sitting with their peers, but because that, I mean, you're, they have access to the classroom, but if they're not able to actually fully engage, then all of these benefits that research has shown isn't actually going to happen as much. So making sure that kids are participating given the appropriate support is then shown to just truly benefit, not just kids with disabilities, but all kids. So families with kids with Down syndrome, I mean, you're seeing kids going to college and having full-time jobs and a lot of those skills you learn while you're in school, even if it's those like self-help skills, like being patient and following through with a task. So being able to be in an inclusive environment is huge for all kids, but um, especially for kids with Down syndrome. What are you finding families are, are coming up against as far as barriers to inclusion? Because um, I would imagine that you have a lot of families that are looking for resources, you know, surrounding inclusion. So what are they looking for? There's a lot of barriers, I think, especially right now, even if a teacher is all in and wants to promote inclusion in her classroom, teachers are overworked and there's a lack of teachers right now and lack of subs and lack of time in general. So even if a teacher is all in, wants to like learn all these different um, strategies and everything, a huge barrier is just the fact that teachers aren't supported enough. And so what I've at least read through research and everything is that for inclusion, which again is not a place, but a mentality that needs to be um, embodied by all staff. It begin, begins at the top. So administration needs to understand the benefit of inclusion because they're the ones that are then giving the teachers that extra planning time, um, covering for a class with a sub if needed, collaboration time, which is huge. So if I'm a gen ed teacher and I want to collaborate with a sped teacher, I need that time to collaborate or how am I going to be on the same page? So a huge barrier is that lack of time, which isn't a teacher's fault. That's more so like a systemic issue that um, I think all schools battle with. So starting at the top with superintendents and principals, having them understand the benefits of inclusion, um, I think is a huge way to improve or knock down this barrier. Another one too is just we get families who call and ask us, for example, like I'm moving to Austin. What's the best area for me to settle down and have my kid go to school and be included and welcome and loved. And we're not able to answer that question because it's so hit or miss. You might have, you might go to what's known as like the wealthiest district with lots of support and one-on-one -on -one aids, but then have a teacher who is just maybe outdated in her way of thinking. And so it's one year might be great. One year might be horrible. You might hear really bad things about this one district, but have an amazing teacher who kind of changes your life. So that's a huge barrier too, is moving to a city and then not really knowing what to do. Um, on top of that, then another barrier is just making sure that that IEP encompasses 
all those modifications and supports that your child needs to succeed and making sure the teachers follow through with that. So I know as a past teacher, taking data can be really difficult when you have tons of kids on your caseload and just all the different things that you have to do in your job, but making sure that, that you find a way that the IEP has modifications that teachers can easily implement in the classroom consistently. Um, because even if you have that good IEP and it has all those different accommodations and everything and goals that you are in uh, agreement with, there needs to be a way for all teachers on that team to be able to implement them correctly. Or again, the child might be included, but they might not be benefiting as much as they should be. Do any of your families run into they're at an IEP and the team is discussing specifically modifications to the curriculum and the school team says, well, we can't modify curriculum if they're going to be in a general education class. Does that ever come up? It does. And a lot more than you would think, or maybe a lot more is expected, I guess, given just the situation of uh, inclusive education in the United States. It does happen a lot. And we, we tell families to approach all these meetings in the most collaborative way possible, because most of the time, the te- I mean, most of the time, the teachers and the administrators want the best for that student. They just don't really know how to make that work. And they're probably stressed and, uh, again, time constrained and lack of support and all of that. And they might not have had professional development that really shows kind of um, what you can do to help all your students. So, for example, um, I wish that every single school um, had professional development on universal design for learning because that's something that every single teacher, gen ed, sped, whatever, um, could implement in their classroom. And when done successfully, you're already meeting the needs of every single student in your classroom with or without a disability. So if you're a gen ed teacher and you're kind of worried that you don't know how to do these modifications, you didn't go to school for that and all of that, even though, side note, I think every teacher getting certified should have gen ed and sped experience because you might have a child in your classroom undiagnosed that you're not reaching because you don't know how. So universal design for learning, if teachers and schools were able to make that happen, even if you don't know how to properly differentiate a material, you're giving kids different methods of access to learning. You're giving them different ways to express their knowledge. That's kind of the base, I think. So if you go to an IEP or an ARD and a teacher saying that they don't modify, it's so hard. And I think all you can really do is give them examples of like how to do that if you know. So that's another thing. Parents don't know either sometimes. And that's hard for them to already have to take that on to themselves. But um, finding resources online that you can give teachers, finding, for example, um, there's, I think it's on the Tar Heel website, but there's a, a website that has all these books, like, um, now I'm blanking on the books that high schoolers read the titles, but basically let's say, um, the great Gatsby, I don't know if people read that anymore, but you go, they do. On- they do they because do. my yeah because my high schooler is re- just read it. <laughs> okay. It's been a while since I've been in high school, but um, there's websites now that have these texts texts already accommodated or modified with pictures with shorter um, sentences, and so teachers don't have to start from scratch. Most of the things you can find are already online for free or a, a, a minimal cost. So being able to give teachers examples of that would be helpful as well. Yeah, great point. I think the I think what you're talking about is um, there was something called the Tar Heel Reader. That that's it. Yes. Is that I don't know if uh, let me see Tar Heel 
reader. Let's see if that's still around. And if it's not that, I know. Yeah, I have yeah, yeah. It's still there. there. Find okay. the book. Yes. Um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah, this is really interesting. So I used this um, when I was a classroom teacher. Um, so there's like, yeah. So um, I know as an educator, as a former educator, well, I don't know. I guess I'm still an educator. Um, that that the mind shift that yes, you can modify or adapt materials in a general education class. That is such a big hurdle for teachers because it comes down to their sense of fairness. You know, like why should we do this thing for this one student when no one else gets this thing? But the thing is, it's like that is their special education. <laughs> you know, it's and I've I feel like I've heard that that before, and I I had a speaker. I went to speaker once who talked about this in depth. And now I, this is years ago. Now I wish I remembered who it was, but she talked about that the fairness aspect of it and how just that doesn't make sense at all when you really truly think about it because a child needs support. So a child who's not able to walk uses a wheelchair. Is that? They're unfair for a child who wants to like speed down the hallway in their classroom. No, they need that to succeed. So when you're not providing those um, tools, you're not even giving that student a way to succeed. And you can always fade it too and see if they might not need it. But if a child needs like a word bank, for example, to to have a pass a test, and that's how they will show their knowledge. Why does it matter if they have a word bank and someone else doesn't? And the fact that some educators think that that's fair versus unfair i think it just shows a lack of understanding of what different learning profiles look like and that's why again going back to universal design for learning i think is huge because if a kid's not able to write a five page essay or five paragraph essay through universal design for learning they can make a clay model they can make a podcast they can do a poster and they're still showing their knowledge to the teacher and to their class so if you're not giving a child a means to show what they learn, how do you even know they're learning? And so then it's you're stuck in this cycle where you think that a child with disabilities might not like be competent. So that presuming competence piece is huge. And because you're not giving them those tools to succeed, you don't see them succeed. And it just kind of goes on, 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 on. So first and foremost is presuming competence and then understanding that people need different um, things to succeed. And you and I probably have things that we need that help us succeed. For example, when I go to the gym, my um, coordination is not great at all. And so I've had coaches who during like agility days want me to jump a certain way and it truly hurts my brain. And I have to think about it and practice and practice. And if the coach didn't come up to me and kind of guide me through it, there's some moves that I could have spent hours trying to perfect that for someone jumping twice on one leg and then going over this hurdle comes easily. So I need that modification in the in the gym setting for a coach to come to me and talk to me about it and practice it with me. And I would not succeed without that. So I think just having teachers and educators understand that every human, whether we know it or not, has different ways of learning and different ways that support our learning is huge. And at least try it out and see, because you might be blown away. You will be blown away if you're giving right. those tools to kids who need them. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I always think about, you know, I've I pay for an annual um, subscription to Grammarly. Um, are, are you familiar with Grammarly? Yeah. Okay. So, um, and so I'm a writer. Uh, I write, you know, blogs and articles and stuff like that. 
Uh, and then I also, you know, write scripts for the podcast and stuff like that. And um, I'm I'm an absolutely horrible speller, horrible, horrible speller. And also like grammar, it just it does not come easy to me. So um, for me, having that assist is huge because as a communications person, um, I had to get over this idea that um, it's cheating, <laughs> you know, um, because I love my job. I, you know, I'm energized by it. This is what I love to do. And that actually makes me a better communicator. So um, and that's absolutely fine to use that, you know, just like with other aids and, and assistance and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I always think about that, like when I'm writing emails or an article and I'm like, man, I'm so glad I have this. Especially if you're doing it in a way that's intentional. So, yeah, if you're giving a child the answer to all the tests, I mean, that's not you're over supporting them. So if you're intentional with what that student needs and you're finding kind of like the least to most prompting is a good way to approach it. But if, for example, um, they only need a word bank again and they can answer every single question on the test, then that's great. But if you're giving them a test with 30 different questions and small little print and no word bank or even cues or anything, they might not show their knowledge. Um, so again, yeah, it's that fine balance of lack of support and over-supporting and understanding how they learn, which I know can take time. But again, there's so many online resources with ideas and ways to approach this um, that aren't that time-consuming. Another A good example is an audio book versus reading a book. A child may read or listen to The Great Gatsby on their AirPods and understand the beginning, middle, and the characters, the setting, everything that you want them to know. But if you make them read a chapter a day, that child may not have the reading comprehension yet or the attention span that they need to read all of that or the vocabulary that's needed. So providing audiobook versus text is another great way to accommodate for um, that learning style that isn't cheating or unfair. It's just what's best for that student. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So in uh, your previous role, job, previous role, Previously, you had a role at the Rise School in Austin. And from what I can tell, the very little research that I did, although I tried, um, it seems like there's a, an inclusive philosophy there um, in early childhood. And I don't know about I don't know about the rest of the school. So could could you let us know and our listeners, like, what was your experience like working there? Yeah, definitely. So 
I started at the Rise School as an intern when I went to UT for my master's in special ed and stayed for seven years because I loved it so much. I felt very spoiled being there because it's definitely like the golden star of what an inclusive preschool or preschools in general should look like. But basically, for those who don't know, there are a couple of Rise Schools throughout the nation, mostly in Denver, Alabama, and Texas. But the Rise School model is that 50% of our students um, are neurotypical um, and then 50% have a disability. What makes that possible is that we do have a lot of support in the classroom. So there's one lead teacher and a teacher and an assistant. So like a co-teaching model that's used as well. We also have therapists on staff who do just push-in therapy. So they come into the classroom, they observe, they play with all the kids with or without disabilities, and then they provide coaching to the teachers on how to implement different strategies into the classroom that are therapeutic, like some like speech cueing or sensory um, tasks for kids who might have um, OT needs and things like that. So my experience at RISE really opened my eyes to why I think inclusion should start from the very beginning. I mean, as adults, if you really reflect on what our lives looked like when we were growing up, especially I grew up in Mexico, which is probably like 10 years behind us or even more so on inclusion and disability awareness. Um, I didn't grow up going to school with any child with a disability. And if they, if I did, it was undiagnosed. And so as far as being around children with severe disabilities, I didn't see that. And so if you start reflecting too on what those conversations look like with adults. So did my parents ever talk to me about differences? If I saw someone in a wheelchair, would I stare? And if I stared, what was I thinking? So there was, I didn't have that um, experience growing up. And so to me, it took intentional um, an intentional effort to be like, wait, why, why are they not included? Why don't I have friends who have a disability? Why don't I see people with, with disabilities more often? And so I, it, it was kind of a shift in mindset that I had to intentionally come to. And so being at the Rise School, um, the youngest you can be is 12 months. You're naturally in that environment where 50% of your peers are different than you, whether that's physically, that's in communication styles, in many, many, many different ways. Um, and the teachers are all so equipped on not only encouraging just love and nurture in their classrooms, but really intentionally um, breaking down those barriers as far as curiosity because kids ask questions. And so many times you see um, like on the street, for example, a kid asks their mom, like, why is that kid in a wheelchair? And the mom's like, shh, shh, shh. don't look, don't look, walk away. <laughs> By doing that, the kid's learning like, oh, this is weird. Like, I, I shouldn't talk to that person. Like, so at the Rise School and, in, and just inclusion in general, we talked about those differences. We celebrated those differences. So just as far as social, emotional growth, there's so many opportunities in preschool to really lay that groundwork on being an empathetic, empathetic human being. So as teachers modeling what those interactions look like, answering those questions in a direct, explicit, positive way, pointing out that we're all different. So yes, this person might need a device to communicate, but how great they're, they're talking to you through a device and um, in the way that maybe you learn it differently too. So we, we make sure that all kids understand that we all have potential. We all learn different ways. And it's just so natural because at that age, kids are sponges. So if they see the adults that they look up to treating everyone the same, then for them, it's all the same too. And 
you end up seeing such beautiful relationships that are created between the kids just naturally. We There's a fine line between kids who like want to overly help. Um, so that's another thing you have to kind of navigate. But the friendships are authentic and they look out for each other. And a big piece of um, inclusion that actually um, a speaker named Eric Carter, I went to one of his presentations. This oh, past love, week. love Eric Carter. He's so he's phenomenal. But he said that inclusion is not inclusion without belonging. And for belonging, you need to be missed. Like your presence needs to be missed or you're just in the classroom or in the church or wherever you might be. And so in our classrooms, the kids would be like, where's X and X? Like we, they're not here. I miss them. And they ask about them. And if they're sick, they would sing songs about wish, hoping that they would feel better. So just a beautiful and natural way for kids to start learning that you can be friends with anybody, even if that child is significantly different than you or speaks differently than you or walks differently than you. So that's, I think, the most, like the biggest takeaway is that social emotional piece. But on top of that too, being in preschool is probably the easiest time where you can differentiate instruction. Obviously, when you're in calculus, that might look a little different or a lot different or AP Lit and all those different ones when you're in high school. But in preschool, in my opinion, differentiating instruction to meet the kids' needs is pretty basic. So for example, if I'm reading a book and I have 12 kids and one child has Down syndrome and they at that point might not have the way to communicate um, verbally, but they're able to um, receptively um, demonstrate their knowledge. Let's say that their goal is that they're working on color identification. And then I have a student who's quote unquote neurotypical, who is working on like retelling stories, predictions, a lot, very different skills, right? Color identification, and then like higher level thinking on predict prediction. I can have a book and go up to a child with Down syndrome and say like, oh, I see lots of colors in this picture touched with red. And so they're using their finger and they're touching the red hat or whatever it might be. And check, I just met one of their goals. Um, they might need some cueing if that's where they're at. But I'm using the same book that I can then go to a peer and be like, ooh, what do you think is going to happen next? Or what just happened? Can you tell me the beginning of the story? So you're able to use classroom items in a way that, that is easier and more natural. Because the other kids aren't being like, oh, that was a question that's not appropriate. It's all the same to them at that age. So it's definitely such a crucial time for all kids with and without disabilities to learn from each other, to learn from adults, and to learn those academic skills and skills that even as adults, we are still working on like emotional regulation, um, waiting patiently in line, things that I'm like, did I, did I learn that in preschool? Because I'm not the most patient person. Um, <laughs> but just things that we can really lay that foundation for kids and preschool is the time the most critical time, I think, for that. Uh, is is the Rice School only a preschool? Yes, it goes yeah, okay. pre-K, which so many parents always tell us that they wish that we could like open a Rice School elementary and a Rice yeah, School full school. Yeah. Is it a, um, so is it like a charter network or something or private it's school like, or? It's technically a private school. It's nonprofit. And mm -hmm. so um, there is a tuition that parents have to pay Um but 50% of those operating costs are covered by fundraising. And a big part of that too, which I think I was, well, I know I was lucky, is that the Rice School really values their teachers. Mm -hmm. And many times you find that in preschools, teachers are paid even less than teachers in a public school setting, which is already not a lot of money for what we do. And so the Rice School was very, very, like, understanding of that. I wanted teachers to get paid the same as if they were a kindergarten teacher in a public school versus a preschool teacher. 
I think there's a common misconception that preschool is easier and preschool is just fun and you're dancing and it's colors and people don't really understand why preschool is so important. And so the Rice School um, made sure that teachers felt valued in that financial way, which I know people don't say they don't choose their jobs for their money and all of that. And we do it from our heart. But if you're going to live a comfortable life and you do something that you love, you want to feel like your work is valued. And even though teachers don't get paid a lot, being at a preschool that values you and tries to pay you like a regular teacher in a public school is huge. And that wouldn't be possible without fundraising. And also, I mean, paying for therapists is expensive. And so it's it's definitely a challenge just because it's a constant drive. I mean, we have people hired whose entire job is fundraising and those donor relations to make that happen. In the best case scenario, all preschools would be inclusive and it just wouldn't even matter. Um, and we're hoping that with more and more people that understand um, that can be a possibility. But I think we're we're years away from that still, I think. So what's one thing, let me just, let me share what I have in my mind. So um, our audience is mostly uh, educators, school leaders, um, and families of children with disabilities. And, and the, the common thread is everyone wants inclusion, right? So from your perspective, whether that is through like the, you know, um, the viewpoint of the role that you have for DSAC or as a, an inclusive educator or as whatever your viewpoint, what would be your advice to, um, what would you, what would be your advice to people who, you know, want to see inclusive education move forward where, wherever they, wherever their children go, but just, they can't seem to get, um, traction. That's a hard question. <laughs> I only bring hard questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had like the perfect answer to that. Um, and I wish it was that easy to really, uh, break down. I think if we're able to find that right person in the district who's open to professional development and they might not have time or know where to look, but if if you happen to find a conference that has this information or free webinars or anything like that, being able to send that out to anyone in that district that you think might listen and maybe attach a study that shows the, the benefits of, of inclusion and really start showing everyone why it's so important. Because teachers, I mean, most teachers are wanting to learn new things and are on podcasts like yours and are have maybe follow Instagram accounts where they see all this happen and they might want to do it and they, maybe they're already doing it and they're not feeling supported. So back to that original topic that we talked about, I really think that the people that we need to target mo- more so are school administrators, superintendents, um, school boards, and start from there. And that's hard and we don't know who to talk to and all that. But I think that's a big piece is if you could, even if you get ignored, just try and find, like send an article to the superintendent and show them why it's so important. Um, when it comes to voting, um, the l- smaller local voting, maybe do more research on who you are voting for as far as like the school board and all of that, because those people play a big role in this too. And I know it's also difficult too, but you can set up meetings with like legislators and the ARC of Texas has um, tools online that you can download that gives you kind of the spiel that when you go into that meeting with a um, pol- political person, it kind of guides it down on like, this is why it's so important for you to do X, X, and X and kind of showing them why it's so important to promote inclusion. So I think starting from the top is really what's going to make a difference. Um, 
just because I, I do think the teachers are so passionate and they want what's best for their kids. Um, they might just need more support when it comes to actually making it work. That was great. Perfect. Thank That's you. exactly I like it's very similar to what we say when we ask that when when uh, we get asked that hard question. <laughs> um, that's kind of like our whole, that's kind of like our whole thing is, is we, you know, changing the mindset of school leaders, administrative, administrators, superintendents, principals, the people who have the power to make change. Exactly. Right. Louie Jenkins, thank you so much for being on the Think Inclusive podcast. We appreciate your time. Thank you. It was great to, to be a part of it. Think Inclusive is written, edited, and sound designed by Tim Viegas and is a production of MCIE. Original music by Miles Kredich. Attention school leaders, did you know that you can team up with the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education to promote inclusive practices in your school or district, regardless of your location? MCIE has partners in Maryland, Illinois, Virginia, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and more joining us in this work. Our goal is to expand partnerships in every state in the U.S. and beyond. The first step is to start a conversation with us. So visit our contact page at mcie.org contact and let us know that you want to transform your educational services to be inclusive of all learners. A special thanks to our patrons Kathleen T, Gabby M, Melissa H, Mark C, Kathy B, Joiner E, Jarrett T, Aaron P, and Carol Q for their support of Think Inclusive. Thanks for your time and attention. And remember, inclusion always works. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.